Hello, and welcome to the Star Trek Academy, a podcast about the latest new episodes of Star Trek. Today, we're looking at Season 2, Episode 3 of Star Trek Picard, entitled Assimilation. Your hosts are two of the Academy faculty members. I'm Michael Merrick, the media professor. And I'm Rodney Cup. I'm the philosophy professor. And you can find our announcements about new episodes and other content by following us on Twitter. And that's at Trek underscore Academy. And you can subscribe your app to the podcast also. You can go to anchor.fm slash Star Trek Academy to do that. And you can either subscribe right there or find links to us on other podcast sites. Now, the first thing on our agenda for today is a brief plot outline of assimilation. And with our summary, this time is Professor Michael Merrick. The episode begins with Seven's alternate timeline husband holding the La Serena crew at phaser point, but the good guys get the drop on him, phasering him and his henchmen into oblivion. The tube that the Borg queen is in gets shattered. She shoots out connections that lift her off the floor and allow her to take full control of La Serena, zooming it into the past to the year 2024. But because she's siphoning off almost all of the power, the ship crashes because there's no power for the biobeds, Elnor dies, causing an outburst of criticism from Raffi directed at Picard. But we hope, it's not sure, but we hope that fixing the timeline may bring him back. Raffi, Seven, and Rios beam to the tallest building in Los Angeles to scan for the Watcher they've been told about, presumably an alien using alien tech that their tricorders can detect, but because of the low transporter power, they come out at different places. Rios materializes actually above the ground and is injured in the fall. A good Samaritan takes him to a street clinic run by a doctor named Teresa. Girardi connects to the Borg Queen and gets her out of recovery mode, so they have power back, and in the process discovers where the Watcher is. Rios in the clinic is recuperating, but is captured when Immigration and Customs Enforcement Police raid the clinic. He's hauled off with no proof of identity and without his comm badge. That's a really quick look at this episode. Now, uh, before we talk about the philosophy, the themes, and the morals to this story, we'd like to talk about a few things we saw in the episode that we think we ought to mention. We usually try to avoid Easter egg lists. So many articles do that and they do them well, but here are the things we'd like to talk about. Yeah, Rodney, this episode was directed by Lee Thompson, who played Lorraine McFly, Marty's mom, in the Back to the Future movies. Okay, I was wondering about that. Yeah, she's now an accomplished director and did a fine job in this episode. Lots of elegant shots and interesting camera angles and things are well paced. It's interesting to look at how this episode draws on past episodes that have shown time time travel in Star Trek. Of course, the the warping around the sun goes all the way back to the original series where... um, where they did it a couple of, well, actually they did it three times, although one of the times it wasn't depicted on screen directly. But when La Serena is traveling in time, Jurati has tears and they go down her cheek, but then backwards up her cheek. 
And in the background, we see some sparks falling from the ceiling. You know, that often happens on starships, it appears. But then they go back upwards. And, you know, of course, that signals changing directions in time. But I was thinking mm-hmm. that in the original series episode, Tomorrow is Yesterday, remember that uh, the Enterprise is getting ready to return to its own present and drop off Captain Christopher on the way. And you remember Enterprise went into the past a bit before changing directions and going forward towards their own time. And the changes of direction of the tears and the sparks in this episode kind of resonate with that. You also notice that we did not have clay heads getting younger, no babbling brooks, no cattails in this depiction of time travel as they did in The Voyage Home. But there were still some metaphorical scenes that signal the time travel. And I think some of that may have been in the script, but some of it goes down to the director's interpretation. Yeah, I much preferred the approach here with the almost sort of dreamlike close-ups on the crew yeah. of La Serena than, than the, the rotating or whatever clay heads. I, yeah. I thought they did it very well here. Yeah. The ship's actual passage just above the surface of the sun is really spectacular. Excellent, yeah. excellent graphics on that. But I do note that they never really did prove that they were in the year 2024. I mean, in time travel, I mean, you find an abandoned newspaper, you use newspaper and you check the date and things like that. (laughs) None of these cliches, they do the tests to see if they're in the right ballpark, but they just assume that the queen got them to the year they wanted to be in, I guess, because the queen was the one who was piloting. That's right. And well, they're trusting the queen here. She claims that they are when they need to be before the divergence in the timelines. You know, of course, she can't be trusted. I suppose we could find out that she's lying about that. Yeah, I trust, don't know. trust but verify. Right. Yes, <laughs> trust but verify. <laughs> also, Gerardi infers from these context clues, as she calls them, like fossil fuel pollution, they're roughly where they need to be, but and only roughly. Are, yeah, those are the same clues that Spock used in the voyage home as his first confirmation of, of the time frame that they had arrived in. Here's my biggest problem with this episode. I like the episode. I thought it was a good episode, but the biggest problem is really kind of a a nitpick thing, but the producers are messing with us with respect to where La Serena crashed. Mm. We get two sets of geographic coordinates in this episode. Shortly before the crash, there are geographic coordinates on Picard's screen that point to a little bit east of Bakersfield, California, in or near the south end of Sequoia National Park. Okay. Which, if you have to crash your ship somewhere and you don't want a lot of people to notice it, you know, a national, I said national park, it's actually a Sequoia National Forest. You know, a national forest might be okay uh, as long as you don't kill thousand-year-old trees. But also Picard says he's taking them home. And in two nighttime scenes, we see something in the distance that could at least be Chateau Picard. But before they crash, they're over South America and they're definitely heading towards LA when they lose control and going from there all the way halfway around the world to France with 37% navigational control for me is kind of a stretch. Right. I have to say. 
The other set of coordinates we heard, where Agnes got them from being inside the mind of the Borg Queen, were for a location of the Watcher. And I went to Google Earth, which allows you to pinpoint geographic coordinates very tightly. The location that Agnes gave for the Watcher is a building in the 400 block of South Broadway in Los Angeles. In our timeline, according to what I saw on Google Earth, it's a building that contains an AT&T store and a Planet Fitness. Okay. <laughs> it's in the Los Angeles Theater District, and it's part of the historic core of downtown Los Angeles. Now, I've seen a couple of articles online that suggest other locations, but I, I triple-checked my work on these geographic coordinates. And uh, again, it may not be that in the, uh, in the Star Trek timeline, which unfortunately is a little bit different from our own. But the geographic readings mm -hmm, that right. given for the watcher, the number of the number of decimal points it went to are accurate down to just a handful of yards or meters. So uh, uh, it looks like they're going to South Broadway in the theater historic district. We'll see. So let me make sure I understand this. So the coordinates for the watcher are probably where they need to be because the watcher is in Los Angeles, right? But we're not quite sure where... La Serena landed. Was it in California or France? Right. And, huh. and there are scenes, I mean, they go back and forth between the two locations and La Serena is in the dark. It's dark outside because we see right. external views of the ship. And presumably at the same time, the folks in Los Angeles are in daylight. So okay, like I said, confusing. they may just be messing with us and only a, a certain fraction of fans would actually look up to see where those geographic coordinates are. But luckily you have me. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah, we got to keep them on their toes. One thing I noticed here was uh, that I wanted to mention. Gerardi tells Rios after they land that in 2024, you have to look out for butterflies. And I don't know about you, yeah. Michael, but what this reminded me of was that 1952 Ray Bradbury short story, A Sound of Thunder, in which a time traveler kills a butterfly in the distant past, and that changes the future in significant ways. Yeah, it's related to, it's not quite the same, but it's related to something called the butterfly effect. The idea that the tiny, the minuscule air currents from butterfly flapping its wings or not can lead to big changes far away because those little fluctuations in air pressure cause others in unpredictable changes. And it's, that's often related to like weather meteorology or things, not so much time travel, mm -hmm. but we have not had the chance to experiment with real time travel. So we don't know changes a time traveler makes. Is even a tiny change like that going to change the future? Or is the routine, the things you do routinely in life, they're not out of the ordinary, just part of the background of the time. And, and it's not going to change the future. We don't know. And so writers can kind of draw on either alternative based on the needs of their story. Mm -hmm. It appears that what we're right. looking at in Star Trek Picard is something that's going to be a more significant change, but it may not be a change that makes national or worldwide news. It may be significant for the timeline, but not as noticeable for people that don't know what's going on. Yeah, if they're lucky, we'll see. Something else Gerardi also said that I wanted to point out here. She said that at least some of them aboard La Serena have ID implants and vaccination 
chips that they brought with them from the future. And she says, you can't be apprehended or draw attention to yourself because these devices might be found on you. My reaction to this is many people nowadays, I don't think would accept a vaccination chip, right? So the the opinions of such things must have changed dramatically from now in uh, Picard's time. We don't know if those kind of chips are from the main Star Trek timeline I could see a xenophobic authoritarian regime requiring military officers to have ID chips and stuff. And when Q replaced the the bad guys with our heroes, were they in the, I mean, who knows? I I don't know. Um, You know, that's right. I, I guess I'm forgetting here that we're dealing with an alternate future here. And what happens in the Confederation may not reflect what happens in the Federation. But also all the way through Star Trek, we have never seen any resistance to vaccination, you know, and we, we've seen lots of doctors in a few hours or days come up with cures to oh, disease right. and they just pull their shirt open and zoop, zoop yep. it into their arm and everything's fine a few minutes later. So that is certainly a difference when you look at society today. So I was talking about geographic coordinates. Let me get back to that a little bit because okay. we had a couple of other clear locations there was a momentary dot on raffi's and yes it was a samsung galaxy z fold which was masquerading as her as her tricorder okay there was a brief momentary dot that as she said was in macarthur park right in the middle of the lake in the storied macarthur park the second time she sees the signal the first time it's just a round dot the second time it is a tiny little com badge Mm -hmm. and it is a prime universe starfleet insignia the the delta insignia uh it it is somewhere else it isn't in the park and it's just you know streets that i can't identify but the tricorder has the annotation on it scanning for anomalous subspace signals and so i was trying to figure out because i think about things behind the scenes was using the samsung phone as a prop a product placement actually i'm guessing not because oh A, you had to be told that it was a Samsung phone. And if it was a product placement, we would have gotten a clearer view of a brand name or of the phone folding or something like that. So I have a feeling that they just used it because it was convenient and they actually built kind of a little framework for it to sit in so it didn't look quite so much like like a cellular phone. Seven notes that strangers usually don't like her, but in 2024... We see that she's getting along with people really well. Yep. And I imagine at some point they're going to tell us why as, as part of the plot of a future episode. But the thing that I was reminded of was, remember All Our Yesterdays? Um, I really like that episode, actually. Spock and others, Spock and McCoy end up yeah. far in the past. And Spock regresses to the previous emotional state of his species before they adopted logic. Right. And so it occurred to me, maybe Seven going back in time shed some of her personality. And, you know, her personality was strongly affected by being part of the collective during her formative years and and ever since. It has affected the kind of personality she has. Or maybe just in her normal time, the fact that she still has those Borg implants on her her forehead and on the side of her face and on her hands. Maybe that just causes people to be more standoffish because they're afraid of what she might turn into. 
And now for the yep. first time, people aren't seeing that stuff and responding that way. I think she mentioned something about that on the Stargazer in the first episode, how people, she was worried they were reacting negatively to her. Yeah, yeah, she did. I also want to remind everyone that, and I hinted at it earlier, but the Star Trek timeline has already diverged from our own because this episode is in 2024, a little less than 30 years after the eugenics wars, which we didn't have. We had wars, but we didn't have those. And so we know that 30 years ago, they had sleeper ships like the Botany Bay to travel to other planets. And we know that impulse drive in the Star Trek timeline was invented in 2018, which allows them to go really fast. You know, that would Mm -hmm. cut the amount of time to get to Mars, for example. I don't know if it would be hours, but certainly way less than the kind of coasting for weeks and weeks and weeks that that we have to do now. There's also a billboard in the background in one of the scenes, in the homeless camp scene, that appears to be about recognize a human landing on Europa. And as a thing for fans, there's a slogan, too boldly go. Yeah. Um, some articles have said that maybe that's a billboard for a TV show or something like that. If it's for an actual mission to Europa, I think it's easier to make sense of Musiker's um, hope in the face of hopelessness comment. And I'll say more about that later, but I think that's for an actual mission. That's my opinion anyway. It does remind me of Arthur C. Clarke's book and then the movie adapting the the book 2010. You remember the key message there from the aliens? Yes. Yes. All these worlds are yours except Europa. Attempt no landings there. Boy, I hope those guys are careful. Yeah. (laughs) Those guys are careful. A few other notes. This is just a quick one. Agnes mentioned missing her grade school cat. And remember that even in the xenophobic authoritarian timeline, her AI pet is a cat. That's right. Um, I enjoyed hearing California Dreamin' in the soundtrack here, although it was a newer version, not the Mamas and the Papas. Yeah. Um, Maybe the producers just wanted a version with a little bit more modern instrumentation. Maybe they couldn't get the rights for the original. Maybe the cover version that they used uh, was less expensive. And all the music we hear in any TV show, one way or the other, is paid for, either because the composer is paid or they pay to get copyright licensing to the rights. Right. You know, it just occurred to me, Michael, um, the original California Dream, and didn't that come out in the late 1960s? It was sometime in the 60s, yeah. So if you want to use that song, but you want this to happen in 2024, you probably want to use a, a newer version. That just occurred to me. I mean, I think using the song at all appeals to the older Star Trek fans that would have mm-hmm. more memories of it, or yeah. at least the people that listen to it as classic rock. And if you know the lyrics, clearly it may or may not be directly relevant to the storyline here because it's about someone who's not in L.A. You know, again, for uh, I think a considerable chunk of the audience, at least the American audience, it resonates as a pretty famous song. And, you know, it works in it. And it's it's nice for all these background scenes setting the environment of Los Angeles. Yep. And then, Rodney, finally, for this section of the podcast, what does the Borg Queen want with La Serena? Good question. And a part of it is to just yank Picard's chain, but I think probably she wants to go to the Beta Quadrant in search of other Borg. We know that the Borg were 
The Borg existed in 2024. Uh, Guinan said they've been around for, for centuries. And so I, I think it is not surprising that she wanted to go and find a connection to them. If there is any sympathy for the Borg Queen at all, and there's not much, but she clearly misses all of the voices from the collective that I think she said drowned out the silence. That's right. So That's right. I, think, I, I think she is wanting to see the timeline reset to protect the future Borg from the xenophobic authoritarian Earth. But she also wants to go back and connect with them. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and shift gears here and talk about underlying meanings in this episode. Any messages that the writers and producers want us to take from this? And I'll start this week by pointing out that we got another environmentalist message in this episode. Yeah. When they arrive at 2024 Earth, Girardi notes the presence of fossil fuel pollution and early ozone deterioration. And then later in the episode, from the top of this Mark Ridge industrial tower, Seven sees this raging fire in the distant hills. And she says, fire poisons the sky. Trees are gone, water dry. Soon, no food, no breathable air. Maybe the future we saw starts right here. Now, that sounds kind of bleak, but it's a hopeful message, really, I think. Because if the future starts here, there's still time to act before we have to put the planet on life support, as Q put it last week. Yeah. We get meaning from this episode in how it addresses contemporary issues. You talked about the environment. There are others. We see the homeless camp in central LA, and there is a sign there labeling it as the sanctuary district, which is a connection to the sanctuary riots, the the Gabriel Bell riots, as seen in the third season of, of Deep Space Nine. Rafi says, I've never been able to understand how a society could exist with so many contradictions and not collapse sooner. You referred to that earlier in the homeless camp and the Europa mission. And in the Star Trek timeline, that collapse and the start of rebuilding happens in 2024 Hmm. with the reforms that come after the sanctuary district riots. Then again, in another 30 years, there's that nuclear war that messes things up, but the response to those changes after the sanctuary riots and the war is what leads eventually to the familiar Star Trek uh, and Starfleet environment that we're used to. We also see an immigration raid in this episode. So the episode is addressing what it means to be a person of color in our society today, an immigrant or just suspected of having immigrated illegally due to Rio's Hispanic ethnicity. So that is another contemporary issue, but really is grounded in disconnection uh, in groups of people that are disconnected, not connected to each other, not feeling the connection. And I suspect we will see more of these things as, as the coming episodes play out. Yeah, no doubt. I think I have a related observation here, but it has... It's related, but it has more to do with fear. Q appears on La Serena briefly as they're trying to escape Earth. And he says to him, this is the only kind of life you understand. Shall we see what else has been lost in the wake of your fear? And that probably sounds familiar to you. Q asked Picard the very same question last week. And it occurred to me last night, just last night, that Q might not be referring to Picard alone. I mean, maybe the word you're there refers to human beings in general and their fearfulness. 
and specifically our fear of the other, yeah. which in this case, I think would refer to the fear some Americans have of undocumented immigrants and asylum seekers from Central and South America. And I think that the fear there's, it's related to this disconnection. Isn't and, it? I mean, it yeah. can produce fear. It can be caused by fear. In my mind, the fear is not so much fear of the people who may or may not have come here illegally or without documentation. Candidly, fear of becoming a minority and knowing how minorities are often treated oh, over time. Excellent point. But, you know, Q usually has claimed that Picard and the Enterprise crew were on trial, not just on their own behalf, but as representatives of humanity, as representatives of, of the planet Earth. In Encounter at Farpoint, that was what the accusation was, that the entire mm -hmm. species was, right. was on trial. And then, as Q has said, the trial continues. So he enjoys having Picard be the representative, but I think you may be right that it is more societal, it is more species oriented that Q is doing something with here that we have yet to figure out. Right. We also, I think in this episode, find meaning in the Borg Queen's discussion of hope. And again, that's connected in with what we've just been talking about. She calls it a flaw that the human species, it is a flaw that we have hope, but it's also the driving force between what the La Serena crew is trying to do to reset the timeline. Mm -hmm. I mean, that it's likely to be pretty tough and a long shot, but out of hope, they, they are doing it. And it's really a fundamental part of the human psyche. One of the rooms the queen finds in Agnes's mind is one in which Agnes essentially has no hope or, or subconscious. She doesn't use the word, but in effect, she's talking about suicide. Yeah. And most people are able to, you know, they have these things in their mind but they're able to balance them in their mind, not have one of them take over that we see, you know, section by section in, in Agnes's mind. And then of course, if people are having trouble with that balance, we hope that they're finding help to address it. Right. I think I'd like to say a bit more about this, uh, the social commentary in this episode and how it relates to hope. Okay. So we, we have Rios ending up in this clinic that doesn't gouge patients is what Teresa said who can't, I suppose, afford healthcare otherwise. We've got Rafi walking into this homeless camp, knocking a mugger unconscious, someone looking for money. And in the distance, there's that banner, you mentioned it earlier, advertising mm -hmm. this mission to Europa. And Rafi says that she describes this scene as hope meets hopelessness. And as you pointed out, she says she can't understand how society could exist with these contradictions and not collapse sooner than it did. So the contradiction here, I think, is between hope and hopelessness. And I think she's talking about economic inequality, right? And how it affects people and makes them hopeless, right? Economic inequality and, and social justice more generally. Yeah. Right, right. And it's interesting bringing this together with the scene with the Borg Queen you know, according to her, hopelessness is an unnatural condition for humanoids, human beings, at least maybe humanoids in general. She says that Gerardi and Picard have this deeply flawed inability not to hope in the face of hopelessness. And in the end that they'll sacrifice their lives for the future of many. And for me, I think this sort of emphasizes just how deplorable the situation is for 
have-nots in our time, not just in 2024. Yeah. I have a couple of final thoughts about this episode that I'd like to share. I'm not clear how Agnes is able to muck around inside the Borg Queen's mind and repair it, but Alison Pill does a really terrific job of voicing Gerardi's subconscious, including that room containing the suicidal thoughts. Yeah. Again, you know, I don't know exactly how she does that, but I kind of don't care in a way because I just, I just, I think she's great, not just in this scene, but in general, I think she's just knocking it out of the park. And I think we could say the same about all the actors here. I think they're all doing an excellent job. Yeah, I think so. And I think particularly Allison has the opportunity with these scripts to display some range this season that maybe she didn't as much last season. So, and, and she's doing a fine job with it. The queen comments that Agnes has an intense longing, but Rodney, are you yes. clear what that longing is supposed to be? Well, be longing, I think, right? I think that's what's going on with her. She wants to belong to something or someone. She always feels like an outsider. Yeah, I guess that that's true. We are seeing a growing relationship between Agnes and the queen. It's adversarial, yeah. but the queen is impressed by Agnes. And I, I think that that is going to be a theme or a, or a subplot that is played out here uh, also. They never really explained how Agnes was able to go into the Borg Queen's mind and fix it. I mean, yes, they, they connected a, a cable to Agnes's neck, but it's kind of like a technobabble equivalent of a mind meld, except that there are no Vulcans involved. Mm -hmm. And in a mind meld, when you touch minds like that uh, in Star Trek, a little bit of the person remains with you after the mind meld is, is dissolved. So are there remnants of Agnes's psyche inside the queen's mind and of the queen inside Agnes's mind? Well, it'd be interesting if there were for future plot developments. It could be something that they do. Remember Picard, even though he's been long disconnected from the Borg, still hears echoes of them sometimes and things. Dr. Teresa plays a familiar role in Star Trek time travel stories. That of a local who helps and in some cases learns about the crew having traveled in time. I would mention Roberta Lincoln from the original series and Rain Robinson from Voyager. I just hope that Dr. Teresa isn't the Edith Keeler of this season. That is to say oh, somebody right. has to decide whether she dies or not. I hope that's not the direction they go here in the event that changes time. Right. I'm, you know, the body count will be high enough in this series. I don't think we need to, uh, sacrifice the doctor as well. Yeah. And, you know, for the creativity, they need to find something different for the, the change of the timeline to be not, uh, not what they did in the city on the edge of forever. Yeah. Good point. Did you notice Rio's story about the amazing simulator where his mom taught? Sure. Academy that taught people how to fly. Did you say yet another Kobayashi Maro reference? I did not. He, this really fancy simulator he broke in, got the highest score of any cadet in history. Now, of right. course, we know that James T. Kirk actually beat the system. He gamed it by reprogramming it to make it winnable. And maybe that doesn't count since he, he both got accommodation but violated the rules. 
<laughs> since it's designed to be unwinnable and he won, but I took it as Kobayashi Maro and hmm. he doesn't want to say, man, my mom taught at Starfleet Academy, which doesn't exist right. yet. Yeah. But, you know, I guess we can give him some credit for being a good pilot. And we see he's second, he's apparently second generation Starfleet now. So we see where that connection for him comes in. And a final thought about next week. You've, you've seen the, yeah. the trailers and things, right? Right. Yes. My guess yeah. so is. So we know we have hints about what's coming. Well, I mean, there, there's a scene with Rios on a bus and who is it with him? Was it Rafi with him? But Rios on a bus overcoming the guards and saying, I think I'm getting the hang of this time. I'm guessing that, that that has to do with his arrest, that he's on a bus maybe to be deported since he has no identity papers. And somehow the rest of the La Serena crew finds him and break, breaks him out. But uh, so I'm guessing that that's what that scene comes from. Right. I remember a shot of him having his mug shot taken. That, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, maybe Rafi can reprogram her Samsung phone to <laughs> locate his ID chip. And the phone now, in addition to cellular data and Wi-Fi, now uses subspace signals. And so, right. cool. No, that's great. And, you know, I'm going to, when we're done here, I'm going to go to Google Play and try to find the app for the, you know, finding the subspace signals. I, I'm sure it's there somewhere, True. isn't it? Yeah, with in-app purchases. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's our look at Star Trek Picard for this week. Uh, as always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back probably tomorrow with our look at Discovery, the season finale of Discovery, that is. And then we'll go back to our one podcast per week schedule. Anyway, you can keep track of our new episodes and other announcements on our Twitter feed at Trek underscore Academy. Or you can subscribe directly at anchor.fm slash Star Trek Academy. Thank you very much for joining us, and we'll see you in a couple of days.